0: Welcome, everybody, to Screen Talk and to our weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, as usual. But Ann Thompson, who would normally be gasping prayer with me in the mountains of Colorado right now for Telluride, is taking a much-deserved vacation in the rare year when that's actually possible right now. Uh, Fortunately, I've got two wonderful substitutes with Kate Erbland, our film editor, and our senior film critic, David Erlich, And uh, it's, I think, incredibly timely to have you on right now because of the fall season starting up. As you can see from my Zoom background, which I've brought up on this podcast before, I've basically just been sitting outside of the Bell light box for the last couple of weeks waiting for something to happen, even though obviously the uh, board has been closed for quite some time. Uh, but the, uh, you know this also kind of encapsulates the weirdness that we're all going through. A lot of us are in this process of trying to keep tabs on the festival season by seeing movies remotely. And um, while some of our colleagues abroad have the luxury of actually being at a physical festival, or some might say the, uh, the dread of walking around in, in an enclosed environment with people wearing masks as they watch movies, uh, we are basically experiencing for the first time the major festivals as a virtual phenomenon. So. Uh, I want to talk through this a a little bit and kind of the weirdness of it all, because I think all of us have have been through this cycle enough times to know just how different it feels. Kate, I'll I'll start with you, because you had a lot of kind of the the overviews that we do. We did a big curtain raiser on all the fall festivals, New York, Toronto, and Venice. What to you has been sort of the, the strangest disconnect? Of the last few weeks,
1: I mean, I think what you mentioned is, you know, we did this curtain raiser that was for all three festivals. When normally we'd have pretty robust curtain raisers for each of them individually, and just going through and seeing these much slimmer lineups, um, obviously for a number of reasons, and having to pick from those the things that we're most excited about, but then know that your excitement doesn't mean, oh, I get to go and see these things in a theater with all sorts of people, but oh, maybe I'll see them in a different room in my house versus a room that I've been in for the past seven months. So it's just, you know, there's still things to get really excited about, but the experience just feels so different. And it's, that's hard to get really pumped about.
0: Right. It's like the narrative, the narrative of being in a, you know, anticipating being in a big room with people where, you know, you're collectively experiencing this for the first time. And then because of the speed of information that becomes, you become part of that first wave. We don't have that same kind of luxury, so we're just left with uh, the movies in a completely different context than we'd ordinarily expect them. David, what about you? I mean,
2: I, I think Kate sort of speaks for a lot of us right now. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how tempered the excitement winds up being. I think a real test will be when we see something that's truly galvanizing, you know, regardless of where we're watching it, how far that excitement takes us you know, if, uh, if some of these movies that we'll be seeing from Venice or Toronto or later the New York Film Festival, uh, seem kind of momentous and like they would have been wonderful to see in a crowd, how we'll go about expressing that enthusiasm if it will carry in the same way. Uh, and, you know, if it will be possible to, to engage with those films and note and notice the ones that are that impactful in the same way that we might have in a more, uh, you know, dense and focused environment. It's going to be strange. I mean, we're sliding into the start of Venice here. You know, it's it's a matter of going from one window on my computer to another. Uh, and it's uh, as opposed to last year when I got on a plane and flew halfway around the world and there were boats and gondolas and water taxis and everything involved. So it's definitely a, a bit more seamless in a way that may not give these movies the, the same sense of uh, heightened experience, but hopefully the movies themselves push through.
0: Well, there's a certain romanticism I think we, we associate with these environments. And obviously that's where the privilege kicks in, because a lot of people don't get to experience these movies in that context. And so it is on some level humbling if, you know, there's, there's less FOMO this year, but there is a sense of, you know, this is the way the rest of the world gets to experience these things anyway. so maybe maybe there is something constructive about that, taking out that extra noise. I mean, give us an example, Kate, of a time you were in Toronto where you felt like the experience of a movie you saw was completely informed or was really heavily informed by the fact that you were in Toronto watching it as opposed to, you know, what we're doing now.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I. I can think of two that are both very different, but both uh, took place in the IMAX theater at the Scotiabank, which is a real IMAX theater. It's huge, it's got the sound, it has the giant screen. And that's where I first saw Gravity and it's the longest line I've had to wait in. Maybe, well, definitely at Toronto, probably at most other festivals too. And everyone was so excited and it was, you know, that's a movie that was meant to be seen on the biggest screen possible. And I'm so happy I saw it that way. And then I think it was a couple years later in that same theater, I also saw a movie that Nick Cannon directed that was about uh, mainly about gyrating booties, as best I can tell. But I had such a great experience with that because it was so silly to watch that on a big screen. And I watched it with our friend Jordan Hoffman, and I had such a great time with it. And I think if I had just watched that at home on a screen or on my computer, I would would not have remembered it at all
0: gyrating booties just doesn't work on the small screen
1: they don't gyrate as much
0: (laughs) (laughs) no that's it's funny i mean it's it's an interesting way of of kind of capturing the essence of the environment you know i remember going to see like you know the some midnight movies like the midnight madness movies in toronto where it's like they always start a half an hour late and the crowd goes wild and it's like being at this crazy party and it's totally exhausting and sometimes the movie doesn't live up to that energy, but when it does, it's like this transcendent kind of experience because it's like you know the audience is it's like all in this together, and there's no way to divorce that from uh, the way you see the movie down the line. You know, oh.
2: You know, I think as rarefied as the experience is of actually going to these festivals and as much of a privilege as it is for all of us who do this, it does serve a function, creating that atmosphere. And I think that function does trickle down to the movie community at large in a way that might be sorely missing this year. I think, you know, that that as much of a bubble as it is, that pressurized sense of excitement, that that feeling that for a time anyway, these movies, some of which may never see the light of day, uh, you know, in, in America, I turn a profit for any company in this part of the world, uh, are the most important things on earth. Uh, that needs, I think, to happen, to galvanize the excitement around these movies and help sort of give them the force they need to push them out into the world with some real velocity. And I worry that even if something excellent premieres at, at TIFF or, or Venice this year, it may, that sense of, of sort of a narrow, focused, localized kind of discovery may not build up in the way that it needs to for people who are watching from the outside to recognize how special something is and that may prevent things that deserve a longer half-life uh, from blossoming once they reach the public.
0: Well, let me offer a counterpoint on that because I'm the internal optimist and I know that things are are bad and that watching things on small screens that were designed for big screens as a collective experience in a dark room is not the ideal situation. But one thing that I find fascinating about the season that we're going through right now is that there, there's just way less uh, noise and there's a lot of stuff that would otherwise be really hard to, um, to acknowledge otherwise. I mean, the, the idea that most of the films we're watching right now are not necessarily going to be heavy hitting Oscar contenders, is in theory, it makes it harder for these festivals to, to, you know, please sponsors or, or, you know, look really exciting in news reports of red carpets and stuff. But at the same time, for the most part, the movies that I get excited about, that I know that, that you both often get excited about are not so easy to introduce to the market in the first place. We're going through Toronto, we got 50 movies, now that is a breath of fresh air to me when usually there's 300 odd movies and i think even if they're programmed i mean there are films that are rejected from toronto i don't know anybody who's watched all those movies i don't believe a programmer at that festival who says that he or she has has, has watched all of those movies so just i mean let, let's cut through this a little bit I mean, david you, you're juggling a lot of deadlines right now a lot of assignments you're watching things constantly but as you go through your schedule does it feel different to have perhaps a smaller pool to consider this time? I mean, I I do
2: appreciate the optimism you bring to it, and I see the upside there. Uh, I do think it's great that some movies that might otherwise get lost in the shuffle will now, just by virtue of being programmed in one of the limited spots of these festivals, get some more attention. Maybe we can talk, we'll be more inclined to talk about them as if they could get attention. Whereas, you know, like a two and a half hour uh, period drama by Anne Hui set in uh, like a Hong Kong love square, uh, might otherwise be something that falls to the cracks. If Toronto are programming 300 movies, maybe something like that this year, uh, if it's even in Toronto, I'm reviewing it out of Venice, is, uh, is might get some more eyeballs on it. I do kind of like the orgiastic feeling of the 300 movie Toronto's because as, once you get past the top layer of like must see obvious, Titles, you can sort of follow your own tastes and, and find some diamonds in the rough uh, and see if anything uh, plays well enough to, to appeal to people who aren't you. But yeah, yeah
0: uh, that's, that's always <laughs> a challenge, isn't it? Because it's like, we, you know, so if you go to Telluride, right, it's like a cheat sheet for the top shelf titles, a tip. If you go to Tip and you see those top shelf titles, you're missing all these other things. So you have to kind of ping pong around. Um, and in some ways, you can make the case that that's like the nature of watching movies, right? It's like you, you find your way into different kinds of options in, in an overwhelming sea of them. And now we just have fewer options.
2: Uh, but yeah, I do, I do think, it just, just to finish up on the last point, it does give more weight to the movies that... Uh, Were programmed that didn't pull out and delay until uh, the indefinite future. Um, and I, I think there is an eagerness. Not that we are going to go into any of these movies roast into glasses necessarily. But I think there is an eagerness collectively to find something worth celebrating. And uh, you know, when we do to make sure it gets the attention that deserved. And I think that's just going to be more localized this year than it has been in the past.
1: Well, from a work like an actual working standpoint, I was thinking about this a lot this morning. Last night, I'm not naming any names. I watched a, a much anticipated festival movie, and this morning I got to get up early and spend a lot of time writing about it. And I had spent much of last night thinking about it. And that's not really a luxury that we have during the madness of something like Toronto to be able to take four hours to write a 1,200 word review for something. That's not something that happens during festival time. And I found that to be just a really wonderful luxury. And that's sort of my silver lining. And I'm also interested, I can't wait to see what other people say about this movie and some of these other bigger movies because we're not consuming them in our packs of critic friends where we can all go have a drink afterwards and talk about them and everyone's yeah. trying to find their own angle. I think, I hope that we're gonna see better work and you know sharper criticisms and more, you, like, more unique angles coming out of this because we are having to consume them um, with a little more time and by ourselves. Yeah. And
0: we okay. don't even know what the new cycle is going to feel like, right? I mean, we're, we've got access to, as far as we know, a press and industry screening library from TIFF that will allow us to watch things in certain windows. And it sounds like a lot of that's still being negotiated, but it's it's going to be a, pro- a different kind of process. You know, if you sit down and you watch something in your living room, then it would be if you were kind of, you know, roving through the organic nature of the festival environment. I'm, I'm sort of a purist. I always rush out of those screenings and try not to talk to people about things because I want to contain it up here first. But at the same time, once I've figured out how to formulate my own thoughts about it, I can't wait to engage with people about it because you're part of this first round of, of, of discourse. Yeah, I mean, there is that
2: it, all of these things are sort of double-edged swords. I mean, there is, I think what Kate was saying is exactly on the money in terms of having I don't know how much time we'll have once we're in the thick of things, but you know, not being, uh, not having to rush back to a hotel room um, that's halfway across town, and you know, having to being able to sleep on something. But at the same time, I remember coming out of something like *Knives Out* last year and rushing across down to my hotel room and getting every thought that I had about that movie onto the page before they were able to sort of like oxidize and get out of my head. Uh, and there is a kind of purity to that too. Um, and, uh, you know, especially because that window before the movie changes into something else in the public consciousness is so small. Um, and and really the benefit of going to a premiere like that is that, is that you get to, to be in there before that happens. Um, and so I'll miss that as well, even if, uh, you know, I'll be able to pause in the middle of something and eat dinner or put my baby to sleep and go back to it, which are luxuries we don't have. But I think, you know, with a lot of the movies that are were expected to be at the fall festivals that were postponed indefinitely, you know, from from your Wes Anderson's. I mean, that would have weird at Cannes, but you know, things of that nature may have come back again at TIFF. The bigger movies that I think it would be extremely strange to watch uh, on your television or on a, on a screening link for the first time. Have mostly been taken out of the equation. So I think, you know, they're watching like Nomad Land or Ammonite or something like that uh, at home um, will not be ideal. It, it will rub, but it won't be like, oh, I'm watching Dune on
0: my iPad in bed. You know, it's not, right. it's the schism isn't going to be quite that severe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the films that you mentioned, if those are the big fall titles, right? I mean, we, we you know, can't say which ones we've seen yet and all that kind of stuff, but. You don't have to be rocket science to tell; like these are quieter dramas as opposed to, you know, a a gravity or even aroma or something like that 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 has this sense of just being a, a larger kind of scale. I also think it's interesting that I mean, we it seems that Tip will have its audience prize, but what is that audience? I mean, I could tell, even though I really didn't like it, watching Jojo Rabbit last year that that movie won the audience prize as soon as the credits came up because of the way that crowd roared. And then, you know, the same thing with Green Book right the year before that, because uh, when that movie pressed screen in New York and LA and other markets a little while later, the reaction was much more muted and then got more complicated. It's different kinds of voices weighed in. Uh, in, in Toronto, you really didn't feel that. You just felt pure, unbridled enthusiasm. So it is this kind of interesting double-edged sword. And as we're talking about, you know, the difference of this climate uh, this year, I think it's worth getting into some of the movies that we're excited about this year because it is so such a clear, clearly a different kind of kind of um, festival cycle. So um, let's let's move away from the abstract and talk about some specifics. Kate, what are you? Especially excited to see and, and, and talk about
1: this year. Ooh. Um, well, I remind everyone to look at our Fall Festival curtain raiser with really our most anticipated films. That'll give you a pretty good roadmap. Um, I'm really excited to see Nomad Land. Um, I'm really excited to see One Night in Miami, which is going to be at Venice and then we'll be at Toronto. Nomad Land is at all of them somehow. And I think once I sort of get out of the thick of um Venice and Toronto stuff I'm really going to dig more into the New York Film Festival lineup which always has like a lot of favorites that will be elsewhere but there will be some smaller things. There's this one called Tragic Jungle which I think it'll be really exciting. Um, That will be at Venice too but I'm hoping to be able to catch it at New York Film Festival in whatever format that takes. And so there's definitely stuff I'm excited about but yeah it's not the usual like heavy-hitting Oscar contenders we've come to expect and I think that can be a good thing.
2: I'm definitely looking forward to seeing all uh, 27 Steve McQueen movies that are going to be at the New York Film Festival. Uh, that film or TV? We the, the jury's still out. Still. <laughs> the, the jury think... is still out. But it does. It feels like uh, the way that I feel about it is, I know TV when I see it, and uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if Steve McQueen is is capable of uh, of making
0: television in that sense. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm tend- I'm tempted to put it in the film box. Yeah, no, uh, i right. tried to make an HBO series a couple years ago, and it never happened. Right. No, sure. uh, I'm
2: really excited to see uh, American Utopia, which is the spikely directed concert film of David Byrne's Broadway show. Uh, for a number of, yeah, for a number of reasons, which is it's the opening film of Toronto. Uh, also, I was this close to spending a lot of money on tickets to go see it on Broadway earlier this year. Me too.
0: Because uh, <laughs> they extended the run, really. Crazy.
2: Yeah, I was like, oh, I'll go see it in the fall, no problem. There's definitely not gonna be a cataclysmic pandemic that would uh, make that impossible. Uh, and, and sure enough, I jinxed this all. Uh, and uh, so I'm really excited to see that. Um, I'm excited, a movie that, you know, will put me in the same boat as a lot of people out there that I'm really excited to see but won't be able to Uh, In the immediate future, anyway, I don't know what I will is Gia Coppola's film mainstream, which is premiering in Venice, where, uh, you know, some of the Venice films they'll be making available to press remotely and some they will not. And that falls into the latter category. It was going to play at Tell Your Eye, which was canceled. It is not currently scheduled to play at Toronto or New York. Uh, I loved Palo Alto, her first movie. I love the idea of having uh, two new Coppola films this fall between that and On the Rocks, which is going to be premiering at the New York Film Festival before opening in October. Uh, And it it sounds really, really wild and uh, a logical step for Andrew Garfield after, uh, what was that movie about the dogs, the mysteries, you know the one.
1: The Silver Lake.
2: Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, I really can't wait to see that, but uh, I'm in the same boat as everyone else in that I don't know when I will.
0: Yeah, it's, 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 there's so many unknowns right now. I mean, award season goes into February, so that gives a little extra cushion for some of these studios to kind of wait and see. I mean, even something like no Man Land, we don't totally know if they might push that or whatever. So there's a lot of open questions with stuff like that. I'm really excited about some of the movies that are coming from not uh, from Venice, but also from international directors who don't have these huge... Profiles, but if you watch movies that come out of the festival circuit, um, are sort of respected by a lot of critics who've seen their work there. So there's an Indian film uh, from a director named Chaitanya Tanhane um, called The Disciple, and he made a movie called Court a few years ago that I thought was just really beautiful and, and tragic. Look at the justice system there, and this new movie is about an Indian classical musician, sort of like the the Ravi Shankar sound of of, of, of that that kind of slow. Wailing, sound of music that that's so distinctive. and, and it's, um, it looks just like a really fascinating, sort of entrancing kind of cinematic experience. And Alfonso Coron is an executive producer on it, which is also notable. Um, then the, the other movie that I, that I'm personally really excited to hear about out of Venice, I believe by early next week we'll we'll hear more about it is Noturno, which is a documentary from Gianfranco Rossi who did Fire at Sea. Uh, nominated for an Oscar. Really interesting look at The Migrant Crisis. This one's about the Middle East, apparently. And um, I just get, you know, really thrilled when movies like that make the rounds. You know, Naterno's hitting all four big festivals. It would have been a Telluride. So technically it's hitting the three big festivals with Venice, Tiff, and, and New York. So we still have that kind of through line. Nomad minds making that journey too. So you can you can draw certain conclusions, I think, from that, not necessarily saying you'll love it, but that it is a kind of collective endorsement from just different entities, and there's some choice being implied by all of that. And it is interesting looking at Venice, right? I mean, our freelancer who we have out there was um, saying all these great things about the new 30-minute Pedro Almodovar short film. You know, if that thing dropped online right now, it might have an interesting life cycle, but the fact that it, it was only available to a select group of people who watched it in that room, and that's where the reaction comes from, I think there's something really interesting about that because it's such a, a strange, unique work. Where, you know, just Tilda Swinton in a room in in this from this great art direct, uh, directed uh, filmmaker, and uh, and I and I just think that you know that you can't really replicate that kind of enthusiasm for something on that scale. And uh, a lot of that comes from just the unique nature of being in a room and watching things in, in uh, theaters. We've been blabbering on and on, Anne and I especially, about the nature of going to movie theaters. Do we miss it? What's going to happen to it? Is is it gone for good? Is it going to change in some profound way? And what's interesting now is that it just feels like that dialogue keeps evolving, right? I mean, this week we learned that New Jersey is opening movie theaters on Friday, when this podcast will will go live. Um, And I know people who have been going to movie theaters all over the country uh, in different capacities, and. Uh, Tenet has finally made its uh, landfall in the United States. David, you wrote a fascinating piece for us today about your experience with Tenet and going to a movie theater, but not in a, in a public way. And that's been the kind of fascinating challenge that I think a lot of people have been trying to sort out. Is it safe to go to a movie theater? Should you go to a movie theater? Um, given that you didn't you know, buy a ticket and go to a public movie theater, what, was, what can you tell us about just the, the experience of actually sitting in the screening room and watching this movie on a big screen?
2: You know, it it was interesting. I think Tenet is a really fitting movie uh, to see in this moment just because of how it sort of deals with the conflict between the past and the future and encapsulates the way that the movie industry feels like it's being torn asunder by those two forces right now. Um, You know, and and going to see a movie in theaters feels that way on the one hand. And I should say that I I, I would personally not feel comfortable going to a a multiplex right now at a public screening. Um, I'm just not... Convinced that, that it's safe enough for me to do that yet. Uh, at Cinemark theaters, for uh, $150, you can rent out an entire auditorium. You can split that up to 20 ways. that You can do the math very quickly and see that, as long as there's a pod of people large enough for you to trust, it quickly becomes significantly cheaper than the cost of a regular movie ticket, rather than some kind of, like, 1% luxury. Uh, but it was uh, an ideal way of, of seeing this or any other movie. Uh, and what was fascinating about walking into a theater was, one, how quickly it collapsed the last six months. It felt like suddenly just yesterday that I was here. And like, of course, I remember this experience. It's built into my bones. Uh, it was like a blink of an eye that it was the middle of March and I was seeing that Christian faith rock biopic, I Still Believe, which was the last movie I saw in theaters. Uh, and and the, the other hand, um, once the lights went down and like the Dune trailer for the Dune trailer started, uh, you know, it was like a bolt of lightning that, that went through my skin. And I realized just, that, that I hadn't, and listen, mileage will vary, and I may sound like an old man saying this, but uh, I felt like I hadn't really seen a movie in six months. Uh, you know, and I've reviewed dozens, if not hundreds, since since March. Um, it had not been hundreds, but I can see why. Uh, right. Yeah, but like, you know, I've reviewed a ton, but like I felt suddenly like I hadn't really seen anything since then.
0: How do you feel about all this? Do you miss being in in a dark room with strangers outside of the the festival context? Would you go to a movie theater right now if you could?
1: Um, I I mean, if I did it the way that David did it, maybe. But I think, you know, yes, of course I miss it. But then as soon as I start thinking about it more, it's like, well, that's just it's just not safe right now. There's so many variables. And I appreciate that so many of our colleagues are doing the story sort of like David did about, oh, I went to a theater to see Tenet, but when I see people who are like, oh, here's a picture of me wearing my mask and my face shield and looking terrified about anyone getting close to me, but here I am experiencing Tenet in a movie theater, my brain automatically thinks, this is wrong, this is a bad idea, this is not safe. So for me, I'm not planning on going for a while, and that makes me sad, but I think it's the best choice for me. and even though you can't see it, it's across from me. We are very lucky to have a giant screen and a full projector here at home. So we have a pretty nice experience. For anyone who's ever been to the Park Avenue screening room, I think the screen's about the same size. <laughs> and uh, we'll be- how
0: are your speakers? That.
1: They're pretty good. No, Mike has done a full yeah. setup. It's, you know, everything's where it needs to be. And so we're lucky that we have that. And I look forward to the day that I feel like it is safe and appropriate to go back to a regular movie theater, because I do miss it, but just not for me right now.
0: I'm embracing the outdoor possibilities. I hope that we can get to the point where outdoor screenings beyond uh, drive-ins might seem viable, because we only have a little window of time before it gets freezing cold here in New York, which is actually where I am, not Toronto. i and uh, And it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, because I've seen outdoor stuff happen, and you know when you're in a big open area and people are far away from each other, you naturally feel, safer. I mean, you hope that if there's any kind of crowd, people are wearing those masks. And there was this New York Times article that was like terrifying, where the writer went to go see new mutants and basically tracked how everyone's masks came down over the course of the movie, except for like one family or something like that. So people, you can't trust people to be responsible about whatever kind of safety protocols are involved. So until we feel like we have this thing under control, just being in a crowded place with people is just not viable. But you know, if you guys want to get cars and, and join me to see uh some of these uh, new near film festival drive ins, I think that's gonna be uh that's gonna be a unique encounter with uh, with the kind of film they program this year.
1: I think that's a real possibility. And I know our colleague Zach. Zach said he'd come in from New Jersey for some near film festival drive ins. So maybe that's how we can finally see him.
0: Exactly. Well hey folks, thanks for joining me this week. It's been a lot of fun talking things through and um, David, is that Kate Blanchett behind you in your Zoom background? Is Kate getting? Blanchett
2: taking off her mask as she walks down the red carpet in Venice.
0: So that'll be a fun one to track because over the next week, she's going to be doing a lot of that, hopefully mostly with that mask up when it needs to be. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's we're at the start of an interesting journey here and it's, it's always fun to talk it through and know that we have plenty of new movies to talk about. So back to it. Thanks again for being here.